Throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourselves? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hello, and welcome to Things Worth Considering. I'm Gord Riddell, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Jan Hill, and we're going to be talking today about obstacles, obstacles that get into our lives, in our projects, in our, our personal lives, uh, could be healthcare, all kinds of things that uh, sort of out of nowhere raise their head and we get into problems with that. So before we go any further, though, we want to pick up from last week's show in which we talked about the aha moment. And a, we had a couple of listeners uh, send in questions um, one of the questions that people asked was, or one of the peop- one person asked was, are there neurotransmitters that play a role in the AHA experience? And in fact, there has been some research done. Um, the Medical University of Vienna, a professor Bachera, um, has determined, in fact, that dopamine is a chemical not just for processing reward, it also stimulates goal-driven approach of motivation, uh, including curiosity and learning. So in the aha moment, there is absolutely uh, a release of dopamine, which gives it such a, a uh, high experience for all of us who have had those those uh, eureka moments. Um, we, you know, you feel very confident, you feel very up, and it's because dopamine is being released. Dopamine, of course, plays a, a huge role in uh, our reward system in, in our brain, um, whether it's from uh, uh, eating or from sex or from uh, the misuse of chemicals. Or shopping. Uh, Shopping. Uh, shopping, shopping, absolutely shopping. All of those things can give us a buzz. All of those things uh, uh, involve dopamine. So, um, yes, uh, whoever uh, cottoned onto that and asked us that question, uh, they're absolutely true. And how are you, Jan? I'm great. Cool. I'm good. I'm having my own little dopamine buzz over here. <laughs> yeah. You know okay, what I enjoy it. Well, I am enjoying <laughs> it. You could see my smile. What I really like about uh, Butak. Kara, <laughs> um, his name. work, yeah, is that uh, he's really suggesting that the aha moment is a form of learning, right? It's like mm. learning. It's like this advanced speed learning moment, and I think that's really cool because that made me kind of rethink that whole process of the aha. Well, he, you know, he, he goes on to say, actually, that um, the moment is more than just a sensation of pleasure or relief, such as we would find yeah. in what we had just mentioned with other other things. And, and said it's actually a special form of fast retrieval, combination, and a coding process. And this is something that they're hoping to investigate further in research. Yeah, that's so cool. Because it's, it's what we talked about, that whole brain function that just comes together. And, you know, maybe it releases dopamine because they're so happy to work together. <laughs> you know, just like us. That was our dopamine. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's where go. my dopamine came from today. All right. I knew that. I knew that. Yeah. Uh, um, so, uh, yeah, they're definitely doing a lot more work in this. Um, but it's interesting that it's not about a relief or a pleasure that that dopamine is is uh, uh, taking part in. It's because it's such a fast retrieval process and combining that information mm. to uh, to give us that aha. Like a brain orgasm. It, yeah, that's Perhaps. as close as I'm going to understand. Okay. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> no, we don't. And that's why we love research. 
<laughs> Those are things to consider, actually. <laughs> uh, we had another question. I think, uh, Jen, you're going to talk about that one? Uh, yeah. Um, why does the aha moment only occur sporadically and not all the time when you're, when you're problem solving? How can we can't invoke that all the time? And, That's a great question. Yeah. yeah. Do you know the answer? Um, well, because I don't think we've trained ourselves. I don't think we've trained our brains um, uh, to, you know, set up the criterion that um, we talked about last week. Yeah. The biggest one is to not only get all the information together, but to be able to walk away from it. Mm. You know, most of us are trained that, you know, if you have a problem in front of you, you pound away at it, you do it, you do it. And, you know, until you come up with an answer, you don't come out of that room, you know, until you have an answer to that question. Uh, and so when, as long as we keep doing that, we're actually less likely to come up with a good answer than repeating something historical. So if we want to be creative, we have to be willing to not only to get the information, but we have to be able to just kind of chill and walk away and go and do something else like a walk in the park or by the water or whatever and get your mind away from it because your mind's going to do all the work for you. Mm. So, you know, and whether it's the right side, the left side, the front, the back, everything sort of combines together. And, you know, we get that, that instant retrieval, which will happen in the aha moment. Yeah. So, so it sounds like if we want to really nurture the aha moment, we have to sort of invoke our anti-tenacity uh, nature, right? Because that's when it happens. It happens when we're not when we're not struggling to come up with that yeah. answer. Yeah. And I think we put, you know, I, I think society does, our bosses do, whatever, all put undue pressure on people. To yeah, come up. totally. We have to know. We have to know that answer right now. Yeah, I think our culture is completely geared towards that, right? Exactly. And to say, yeah. I don't know about that right now, mm -hmm. is almost looked down upon that, you know, you're not very bright. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone else has the answer. Well, not everyone else is going to come up with my answer which will be creative, non-historical, <laughs> and maybe hasn't ever been tried before. You know, um, we actually, uh, uh, the, the winner of the uh, uh, coaching sessions actually wrote in an, an interesting letter um, and who came up through the AHA experience with, with a, a project that ended up saving his corporation millions of dollars uh, because he walked away from it. Because what he was doing, he said, I, I believe in the letter, that it just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. 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 Because what they were doing. Do you want to read them? Yeah. I'd love yeah. to read the letter. Uh, Dear Gordon Jan, I wanted to write about my experience with the aha moment. Uh, I was an IT inventory specialist. So I was hired by a large Canadian company. My job was to coordinate the inventory being discarded as a result of restructuring. I was to resell, recycle, and recondition all the equipment off all the equipment, office supplies from ten subunits, all highly unique and not conducive to move into another division. So we've got a lot of stuff that this guy's got to deal with. So it was a formidable task. My ideas were mostly unworkable. When waking up one morning in the shower, aha! <laughs> right? The entire picture was presented to me. It was creative, economical and could handle this vast restructuring. So the long and the short is that uh, I was brilliantly successful, saved the company millions, and I was promoted about eight months later. That was truly a career aha moment. That's brilliant. 
Yeah. Beautiful. That was great. I'm glad uh, uh, that he wrote in. His name is Frank, and uh, he will be uh, will be in touch with him. And he has uh, been given three uh, all expenses paid uh, sessions with graduates from the Transformational Arts uh, College. Uh, they're graduates in the coaching program, um, so they're very top notch. And uh, I'm sure he will gain uh, a lot from that. So thanks, Frank. Great. So are we ready to talk about obstacles? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let, let this not be an obstacle to move forward. All right. Okay. Tear down the wall. Yes. Mr. Gorbachev. Okay. <laughs> Pink Floyd. Uh, <laughs> so what are obstacles? What are obstacles, Gord? You know, obstacles can be both external and uh, they can be internal. Um, the, the external ones are sort of more obvious. Uh, and, and we can probably handle, I think, our, our externals a little bit better. Um, an external might be that you are purchasing a house and all of a sudden you thought you had the funding and the mortgage company decides they're not going to give you that much money or they want you to pay you know, some sort of insurance on, on it uh, or your local government has decided that the municipal planning board wants you to not go quite so close to the property line or that your backyard is, is not conforming to the legal specifications. So. You know, those are just, you know, uh, some ideas that come off the top of my head. Starting a business, all of all of the the, the requirements of, of, of doing that, you know. Um, even personal stuff like wanting to, you know, take a certain job, but you have to have a certain height or a certain weight or, you know, look good in blue. Uh, um, just things that we don't see coming at us. Our internal ones are a little more complicated because it goes right back into our early life. And they... You know, the internal just comprises things like if we came from a family where it was a lot of shame was involved, where we were put down for our behavior, our thoughts, we were told that we weren't good enough, that we would never amount to anything. Um, those kinds of ideas really, really hurt children. Um, and they stay with us. They stay with us as adults. We may not hear it in the same way. Instead, what we do is we act it out. So if somebody has told us that you're just a badass and you're always going to be a bad person, we will act that out. And I don't care how old you are, you will find ways somehow. And it will actually work towards sabotaging you. So I think we've got, you know, uh, the, these these little subpersonality types. You know, there's the rebel, which wants to tell everybody where to go. Um, and, and, you know, rebel is really important when we're 15. It's really bad for us when we're 30. But, you know, we need to, to mature on that one. Uh, the, the, uh, the saboteur, that part of us that just brings us right up to the finish line and then sits down. And it's like we don't get to cross that finish line. A lot of people with bad, uh, uh, you know, bad messages about them that were not conducive to them feeling good about themselves um, often are, have a great deal of difficulty completing projects. You know, and they're doing great. And then all of a sudden it's just everything goes to hell in a handbasket. Um, the, the, um, uh, the, the other one, there's the, the, the saboteur, and then there's the rebel, and there's one other one that just totally flew out of my mind, and it's probably, it's probably something to do with memory loss. Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that, that, that one does. But we do, <laughs> we do have these little parts of us that you know, uh, can really interfere, um, and often we will get involved with people that reinforce that. 
Mm. Because that's what we know. So what I'm hearing you say is that the internal obstacles, some of the things we don't even know are there, and they might show up as our habituated behaviors, they actually have to do with the perception that we have of experiences we've had. So they have to do with perception. Totally. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. If we perceive something as being dangerous as a kid, we probably still perceive it as being dangerous. Mm. Um, you know, as, as a, you know, like if going to school felt dangerous to us, you know, as an adult, going for further training for anything can feel equally as dangerous. It's like that little kid inside of us just takes over. Mm. And, and we start to get our, you know, our, our chest fluttering and, and so on. Perceptions are, you know, everything is about perception. How you see the world and how I see the world are two totally different things. One, because you're a girl and I'm a boy. Mm-hmm. All right. We've got that part straight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you're uh, tall. And I'm, I'm tall, short. And you're short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, however, everything else is pretty much lining up. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea of, you know, my brothers and I all have a different view of the world, yet we came out of the same family. You know, that's what's that's what's so fascinating uh, is is how different we can be and come out of the same family. So Esther Sternberg, who is a psychologist, she has studied a lot about obstacles. What she says is, in fact, that a lot of the perception is really related to value and stress, that there's an interplay between the value we give something and the stress we might feel to make a decision, take an action, you know, present something, uh, like present an aspect of yourself, uh, move forward on a goal, that kind of thing. So there's just, this You know, interplay. I mean, that's, that's, that's the whole premise, uh, uh, you know, one of the premises of Buddhism, and it's certainly, the, you know, one of the understanding in, in uh, um uh, you know, th- in grief work, and that is, is that we experience, you know, of that level of emotion based on the value that we place on something. Mm. So if I love my Lamborghini, it's a joke, I don't have one. If I had a Lamborghini yeah. and I would be in love with it and wanted to date it all the time. And you can I would love your Lamborghini. Okay, good. Somebody would not, and yeah. they would try and hurt it. Okay. Yes. Now, because you were going to love it, you might feel horrible when someone hurts it. But someone who doesn't like it is not going to feel anything, and they will not understand how can we be so shallow <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to have, you know, have this. Or people who, who aren't animal people. And then to, to, I can remember when I started out counseling, and, and you know, although I had animals, um, uh, it was it was um, difficult when somebody in front of me was was crying so intensely at the at the death of their cat, and I didn't understand that level of grief uh, right. with an animal. And it, to me, it was like she'd lost her child, which on you know a figurative level, I I understand that. Um, but it was it was a real real wake up for me in terms of the value that we place on things. Yeah. When people place a lot of material value or value on material things, I th- that's kind of scary. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that and what's easy to forget is that we think of emotion as being a really personal thing, that this is who I am, this is how I feel, my feelings are my own, but in fact, they're actually culturally constructed. How we feel about certain things is an, an aspect of our of our culture, right? Well, yeah, I mean, what, t- what pops to my mind right away is, is, you know, sort of the value of diamonds. We're, we're told that diamonds are so precious and so fabulous. And yet it's, it's actually a controlled, you know, we can now make diamonds. We know how to do that. Right. Uh, 
I think we should come back and talk about diamonds and because they're overpriced. Um, anyways, this is Things Worth Considering with Gordardell and uh, Dr. Jan Hill. We're on uh, Voice America Talk Radio, and we will be back right after these messages. on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. What makes someone successful in their field? On Transformational Energy Leadership, Dr. Matthew Allen Woolsey speaks to amazing guests who share their ideas, advice, tips, and tricks as to what defines success for them. The result is positive transformation for you. You'll learn that personal energy is the key to make it work. And you'll hear through actual examples how to bring that positive transformation to life. Listen live every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. For so many years, adults and teens have experienced a breakdown in communication. It doesn't have to be like this. Listen for Tools for Teen Transformation with Lily Williams. Coach Lily and her guest will tackle subjects like bullying, self-esteem issues, teen pregnancy, substance abuse, and more. It's all about getting teens and the adults in their lives to think differently. You could save a teen's life. Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern and 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back. Uh, This is things worth considering 
And I'm uh, Gord Riddell. I'm here with uh, Dr. Jan Hill. And uh, we're talking today about obstacles, obstacles that get into our life. And importantly, not what the obstacles are, but how do we deal with them? And where do we put them in, in our life and, and get our way through them? Certainly, we all have, a, am sure, a long history of all kinds of obstacles. And just sharing that information can often help people just to push through and know that they're, they're not out there on their own. Um, so, Dr. Jan, what are you going to talk about? Um, well, I want to share something about obstacles, which hopefully will help people reframe uh, what an obstacle is and how it impacts upon them. So sometimes what happens is when we experience obstacles as being a really personal thing is we, you know, we interpret the world around it and we go, oh my God, I've got a problem and this is my problem and I'm never going to get past it. And the thing to consider is that sometimes problems are not actually problems or sometimes a problem is not actually our problem. So here's an example. For people who have families that are all over the place, uh, all over the map, Christmas time, holiday time, Thanksgiving can be quite stressful. Who's, you know, whose house are you going to go to? How can you afford that plane fare? All that kind of stuff. And it can be a problem. So in families, it's not unusual to have one person or two people or a bunch of people who get, you know, quite concerned about who's going where. And if people don't show up, they feel that it's at a personal front, right? So if you're that person who can't show up for holiday time, then you could, if you listen to your family members, you could take that personally and you could think that, in fact, the story that you're the problem because you're not showing up is actually true. If you think of, who, if you think of this idea of whose problem is it, what you actually realize is in that scenario, people have different problems. So the person who wants everybody co- to come together has a completely different problem. People aren't there right? They're not getting their particular needs met by having everybody there for the holiday time, sharing time together. But the person who's not there doesn't have the problem that they have. They have a different problem. Their problem is maybe that they can't sort of strategically get there, so they don't know how to organize their tasks or oh, how they to don't actually have get the resources. Or hundred or thousand dollars for airfare. Well, exactly, right? They don't and have the presents. resources. That could be their problem, or in fact, their problem could actually be that they have to listen to everybody else telling them that they're the problem because maybe they don't really want to be there. They've got other things that they want to do with their holiday time. So, if you think of this question of whose problem is it? You can also follow up on, well, what is actually my problem? If you're the person who doesn't want to be there, then you don't really have the problem. You're not there. And I think what what happens often is we listen to the things that people tell us. We listen to other people's problems and we take them on as our own. We assume that perhaps we're the problem because they have the problem or that we actually share the same problem when we don't at all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, that's part of part of sort of the scarring that we wound up with is by listening to other people say things. And somehow or other in our brain, we turn that around and we make that about ourselves. Mm-hmm. It may not have been about us, you know, but the fact that it was said, it was said in our presence. And all of a sudden we're like, well, OK, I guess they were talking about me. Um, and this is, I understand children doing that. I understand kids doing that. I mean, we have to remember that children, children cannot make rational decisions, uh, um, period. Their brain is not developed enough for them to move from an emotional to an intellectual understanding of the world until around the age of eight. Anything below the age of eight is a, a, a lived feelings, a lived world of feelings and emotions 
Uh, they react to the emotions around them. They react to the emotions within the families. Uh, you know, mom cries and everybody gets all upset. It's all scary. Um, so it's, it's certainly a learned behavior um, uh, because it's survival behavior. You know, when we're growing up, we need to be there. And so we learn to take part in that group. Um, but as we grow up and we, we then begin to create our own families uh, or groups of friends, we have to really change the structure of how that happens. That because someone is doing a, a boo-hoo, as you would call it, or, or, mm-hmm. a, or having an anger rage piece um, because they're so angry about what's going on in their life, that doesn't mean it has anything to do with us, even if we're within striking distance. We're, right. we're just, we just happen to be close by. Yeah. So this gets back to this idea of perception and this idea of yes. sort of learned uh, understandings, right? So sort of culturally, sometimes culturally imposed, sometimes imposed just through that specific family or that specific group of people. Mm-hmm. I think it also speaks to the difference between somebody who has an internal locus of control and somebody with an external locus of control, right? Right. right. So if you're a person with an internal locus of control, it means that you are uh, you see yourself as an agent of sort of your own destiny. So and you see yourself as accountable for the things that are around you. So when an obstacle shows up, you say, "Oh, I'm going to change that." Because you believe you can change it. It's part of the belief structure. Right. Right? You have the power to do that. Yeah, so somebody says, "Hey, you didn't show up for Christmas." You know, I've got a problem with that. Then you say, "Well, okay." <laughs> good luck with that problem. Good, good luck right? with that problem. Exactly. You don't take it on as your own. If you have an external locus of control, then you project off uh, outside of yourself. You probably don't have a very high level of accountability, and you might even lapse into victimization, where you see the world around you as something that you can't change, and you're just really subject to. So if somebody says, "Hey, you didn't show up for Christmas dinner, and that was a problem for me." Then you go, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry." I, I <laughs> that's what that they're looking for. For you, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. And it, and it becomes very difficult when we learn to respond from our inner monitor, mm-hmm. from an outer monitor. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like we're not going to respond in the same way. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they're looking at us and they're going, this guy is just being a dick, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's really nothing around that, uh, that we can make it feel any better. You know, uh, it's like, you know, if we're going to change someone's, way of behaving with us it's almost like behavior modification is you reinforce new behavior you don't comment at all on the old behavior when it rears its head you know the 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 parent who's saying you must come for christmas all right uh is is not to acknowledge their their angst um but when they say that you know we hope that you have a good, really good one whatever you're doing that kind of thing then they begin to shift that way it, it sounds it sounds in a way manipulative almost, but I don't think it is. I think that you know the you know Maslow's you know uh, hierarchy of needs is that if, or Pavlov's dogs. I mean, uh, you know if mm-hmm. if you you hand hand that bone out, they're going to go for it, and if you don't have it, they're going to go. What do I need to do to get it? A fundamental aspect of positive reinforcement, whatever <laughs> is. Absolutely. Reinforced and makes people feel good, they're going to do again. Absolutely. I mean, that's right. how we train children. Yeah. Not that it's necessarily how you train dogs. That's how we train dogs. Right? Cats, well, they're not they're not so good at this. But, no, they don't. No, not no, but, so much. But children and, and dogs are pretty good at it. Exactly. You know, horses, they're very good at it too. There we go. We've <laughs> got the whole arc there. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this all feeds into, you know, beliefs about the self. And a lot of the beliefs about the self, as we've already discussed, are culturally constructed. And so sometimes the beliefs we take in from the outside will create a sense of, of negativity in us. So if you think about some of the sociological isms that are out there, right, the, the gender bias, genderism, racism, uh, biases around religion, biases around uh, nationhood, the origin of your, of your ethnocultural um, background, language, whether people have accents or not, how many languages you speak, um, that sort of thing, sexual orientation, ability, uh, whether you have a visible or invisible disability, in air quotes, disability. Um, all these things shape the way in which we see the world and the way in which people see us and has a big impact on how we treat others and how people treat us. And so it's in that constant feedback loop between the internal self and the external world around us that what's created is a sense of identity and a sense of self. Because if you, you know, if I put something out, that I feel good about, and I say, Gord, the sky is 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 pink, and you say back to me, No, it's not, Jan. That's just totally wrong. That's because you're a girl. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and if I were to take it personally, right, um, then I might feel bad about my perception of the sky being pink. Yep. Right. Yep. Absolutely. absolutely. But if I were to actually question how it is that you know the sky is not pink. And think about, you know, and think about sort of the cultural imperatives behind that and think about how you learned what you learned, then uh, I might feel a little bit differently about it. I might want to investigate the world around me a little bit more differently. And it would have a big impact on how I think about myself. Well, and, and how we think about ourselves based on, on you know, the, the things from gender on through to, to disabilities mm. um, also determines how we move in this world. Exactly. You know. Are we visible? I don't, you know, do we put ourselves out there? Are we angry because we fall into some area of one of the isms? Uh, you know that that you know this isn't fair. I should have you know equal rights and and all of those kinds of things. And so we become very angry, and we become very loud or very you know uh, uh, very verbal. Or we consistently withdraw. Some or people withdraw. And some people withdraw, sure. and that's that's the, the you know the flip side of that, and it's a dangerous side of yeah. that, because that side is much more likely to to do self harm, yeah, than the highly political or outspoken or, you know, because they they take on a collectiveness, yeah. and and they, they they find the other people who belong to the isms to work together, you know. Right. And I think this goes back to this idea of the difference between the internal and the external. Some people will internalize stuff and they'll sit in their, in their shame and their anger and maybe withdraw. Um, and other people will externalize their emotion. And maybe it will be negative in the sense that it becomes destructive to the world around them. Or maybe it will be positive. They'll be working towards positive change, greater equity. Exactly, kind of exactly. But it, it goes, what it does do is it just uh, points to the importance of connections, Totally. You know, is, is that when these people go, go out and, and we're political or we march in parades or we do whatever we need to do, um, you know, it's, it's connections that's taking place there. When we, you know, look at the women's, the women's uh, march that, that happened right after uh, Trump was, was inaugurated. That was one of the most incredible you know, global reconnection of the women's movement. It was Very like powerful. something that had sort of, you know, dis not disintegrated. It had pulled apart. It wasn't seamless. And there was, this was just a boom, 
and the you know the women's movement just re re reinvigorated at that moment, you know, and and rightly so. I'm glad they just need to do it more now for next year, um, in the election. Um, uh, you can't help but be political, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But in terms of talking about this, it it is that it is that connection. It's that piece that continues to tell us that uh, you know it's through our connections that we make all of those isms okay, you know. You know, if we if we have you know someone, okay, I, I'm just I'm just trying to think of a conversation that I, I just recently had actually with a student, and they they were talking about you know a gay person and a gay child, mm-hmm. and then they were talking about a Jewish child and a black child. All right, what I tried to emphasize to them was a black child still traditionally a black child still goes home to black parents. A Jewish child goes home to Jewish children, or Jewish parents. The gay child goes home to silence. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps straight parents. Or, well, straight parents, but there's the, you know, the, the gay child can't come in and say, they made fun of me because uh, uh, you know, I have a crush on Billy. What do you mean you have a crush on Billy? Mm-hmm. And it becomes, a, you know, um, it, it reinforces a horrible silence. And that's that withdraw piece, you know. Mm-hmm. So even though we can talk about these isms and what we do, not all of the isms are equal yet. Well, of course. And so what is interesting to me about that is it really underscores the importance of people who who internalize their sense of difference in forming community, right, where they can see their own values, their own preferences, their own behaviors, their own sense of self reflected back to them. Right. Yes. Super yeah, yeah, yeah. important. Yeah, absolutely. Because that normalizes it serves to normalize even the things that somebody might find within themselves as being um, uh, as you know, as as questioning their belongingness, as being an affront to belongingness in mainstream society. Yeah, absolutely, and and it, that may be absolutely true. But when we form, you know, community um, or you know groups, which becomes a substitute of the family, yeah. um, it, which is the whole thing of growing up uh, at thirteen or whatever, uh, getting our peer with us on online with us, um, that that gives us that sense of absolute normalcy. Right. You know, which is, and that reinforces our self-esteem and that reinforces us being able to get out into the world. Yes. And that's really important for uh, obstacles, for overcoming obstacles. You have to. Right. Because it creates that sense of internal, that internal locus of control self, right? It when has you that see resilience. yourself as an agency. It yeah. creates that resilience because if, if you don't have that and, and you have an obstacle come along and, and it's hitting onto a person that, that doesn't have yeah. That that experience of being with community of people to talk to, it's like wow, yeah. they're going to feel like they just got run over by a truck. Yeah. So the idea here that sort of pulls all of this these thoughts together, I think, is the is that the internal obstacles that we have can be overcome when we are aware of what those obstacles Absolutely. are, right? And we when we understand that they have to do with perceptions of how we live and who we are. Absolutely, and and our courage. To look at them. Exactly. And we're going to take the courage to go out into the world and we're going to take a, a break here. This is Things Worth Considering with Gordon Dell and Dr. Jan Hill, and we're going to be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The White House Doctor Makes House Calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Uh, this is Gordon Riddell, and I'm here with Dr. Jan Hill. This is Things Worth Considering. We're talking to you about obstacles. We've all had them, we all face them, and we will continue to face them. We want to talk about how we get past them, how we build resilience, and we don't feel like we've been run over by a truck every time another one arrives on our doorstep. The more we're out there, the more active we are, the more we're going to come up against it. Now, we would like you to be able to get in touch with the show. Uh, you can get in touch with us at info at spirit 
grows.ca. That's spirit, S-P-I-R-I-T, then grows, G-R-O-W-S, dot C-A, and it's spirit grows is all one word. So info at spiritgrows.ca. Send us in uh, uh, any stories you have about uh, obstacles, how you overcame them. We'd love to uh, be able to pull on your experience that we can help other people with it. So um, now we're looking at um, uh, internal. We've talked a lot about internal. We're going we're gonna to go to the next level of, of that, and that is how do we work with the externals? Um, this is a little bit easier. I think internal sort of gets into the world of therapy. Yeah. Whereas, you know, externals, externals just requires a certain amount of decisions and which can be difficult by themselves, mm-hmm. as well as uh, some, uh, uh, you know, some definitive steps to take. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Dr. Chan? Yeah, I think that's a great idea because uh, external deals a lot with problem solving. And so we can see immediate changes in our lives if we have better problem solving skills, I yeah. think. Um but before we start that, I just want to mention yeah. something about uh, rumination, because rumination is a uh, huge problem for people, right? So, huge. Yeah. So rumination is really this, um, like, it's like you have these habituated patterns of thinking that just won't shut off. It's like you're driving down the freeway, and you keep missing the turnoff, <laughs> and you keep, you know, coming back, and you're going again, and you're trying to get off, but you can't get off that freeway. You're just or going through the same stuff. Being, right? in, being in, in the UK. In, yeah. uh, in England, on a roundabout. In those roundabouts. And going about and yeah. a roundabout and a roundabout. This roundabout has no yeah. off and, ramp. And there's no off. And it's that's, that's what some people are like when they start worrying. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting is if people really sat down and were honest, 99% of what they have worried extremely about, they have awfulized, catastrophized, and all other words we can use, never comes. Mm-hmm. It never comes. Mm-hmm. Now, it is the brain working for us. It's making a plan just in case something bad happens. Mm-hmm. It, but it has. It ends up working with the worst case scenario. Yeah, but the brain's caught in a loop. Oh, yeah. So you can never get off the loop. So you always keep coming back to the same conclusion, the same piece, right? As opposed to something like overthinking, which is when you're constantly searching for a new strategy and you're, you're, you're bringing in new information, you're reordering the information and sort of the underlying idea behind overthinking is you just are like, I just have to think about this more and the, you know, the solution will show itself, right? Well, and so that's, and that's absolutely the big obstacle to the aha. Yeah. You can't have an aha and be an overthinker. Right. Right? Because the, the, the premise around you know, th- that eureka is to stop thinking and pull back and you know do something quite different. Mm-hmm. And then, then, yeah, you'll get a different answer. But the, the, uh, the fact of people, I, I just see people over the years just crippled by their worrying. Mm-hmm. I think over time, our bodies show it as as we see aging people with you know osteoporosis and so on that are so bent over, and often these were the very people that were consistently worried uh, for their families, their children, their brothers, their sisters, and their families, the mm-hmm. church's family. I mean, just you know, they carry the weight of the world, mm-hmm. and it looks like they're still carrying that weight. And I just feel so sad for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just want to say, stand up. You know, let someone else carry this for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, our bodies will begin to show. You know, the, the stress uh, that that we experience, and again, that goes back from when we first started today. That stress plays a huge role in all of this. Right. You know, and the stress is fed by the time of life that we're in, and it's fed by the value that we place upon something. Right. And our bodies are the map 
right? Are the manifestation totally. of the perceptions we have about our emotions and our interactions yeah. and those kinds of and things. And our face is one of the yeah. big ones. Our yeah. faces show exactly how much, you know, how much we've lived life on the high seas. Yeah. You know, of being weather, weather and wind, wind whipped and, and so on. Uh, our bodies do show it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, a common thing that people talk about as we age is that, you know, we have aches and pains. We wake up in the morning, getting out of bed can be painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything is stiff and, and so on. Um, and, and I think it's just all a function of our belief system. Number one, that you believe you're getting old. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just silly. Uh, I refuse to. Um, I, yes, I love denial. It's one of my favorite places to be. Um, and what I'm going to stay there uh, is to, to, you know, maintain that energy. You know, I had someone that said, you, well, you, you should be acting more your age. And I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Does that mean like, like slow down? Mm-hmm. And this was a, this was a, 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 a doctor a specialist actually in arthritis. And, and, uh, I'm like, why would, why would you even tell me that? Mm-hmm. Because all you're doing is telling your patients that in turn, Absolutely. they should just be sitting at home. Yeah. Well, it actually gets worse yeah. if you just sit around. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's coming back to us believing things people tell us, believing from our, uh, our medical people. You know, they say, well, this is this way, you need to this way, or you, or whatever, you're aging, you should slow down. Uh, and I'm not that old. I'm just, I'm just using these as examples. He's aging. However, hi, my God. Um, how dare you? I'm, I want another partner to do this with. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, um, if we buy into what other people have to say about us, um, if you have a fantasy that you want to be 26 forever and ever, God love you. Be 26 forever and ever. Mm-hmm. All right. Eventually, you know, the big guy's going to say, oh, sorry, you know, 26 is right out for you. But the point of the matter is that we, we can live that energy. Mm-hmm. And when you, the more energy you have, the more energy you will con- or cr- create or whatever, it's just reciprocal. You just always have more and more energy. Mm-hmm. You know? And thank God for Botox. That's all I gotta say. So Botox. Let's, what's Botox? I've never so, heard of it. So let's talk about uh, two of the methods that you can use for uh, dealing with external obstacles. Absolutely. Shall Absolutely. we? Okay. Yeah. So the first method is, I mean, these are just basic problem solving solving strategies, right? So they're they're it's not rocket science here. If you have something externally that you can change and you need to actually figure out how to do it, then you can use one of these two methods. So method one looks like this. You ask yourself what you're holding back, right? What or what's sorry, you ask you yourself what's holding you back, right? What's it's kind of like asking yourself what's really the problem. But you go internally and you go, hmm, what's holding me back? It's usually going to be something like fear, guilt, uh, usually fears around am I going to belong? Are people going to like me? What are people going to think of me? It's around social representation. It's around the management of your image. It's around that kind of stuff, right? And if you're thinking of something like like a really uh, like external obstacle like having to go to Christmas dinner across the country, then it might just be, I don't have a thousand bucks for plane fare. Exactly. Right? It's totally practical. So it can be, yeah, a totally practical thing, right? So what's holding me back? And then ask yourself, do I have a history with this obstacle? If it's something like a phobia, well, then you have a history with that snake or you have a history with all the snakes that might 
you know, show up, <laughs> right? Both metaphorically, <laughs> on your back porch, right? Metaphorically and in real life. Exactly, right? So um, do you have a history with, with this kind of obstacle? And you may or you may not. You may always never have $1,000 conveniently, but you've got, you know, 1000 bucks to go buy Prada shoes with or something, right? Go shopping with, of course. right? That's but you don't have 1000 bucks for the airfare. <laughs> so put it in the context of what's holding you back. And then look for similarities with previous obstacles. When did you have a shortage of money before and that you needed to come up with a thousand bucks really fast? What did you do? How did you do it? Or is it it always, or is uh, not having enough money a chronic condition? Exactly, right? So were you able to solve it before or did the obstacle stay an obstacle? Right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then ask yourself, and this is a really important question, and every control freak out there will go, what do you mean? I control it all. It's (laughs) you just ask yourself, what can I control? What is within my power and what is not within my power? That's a hard question. It's a very hard question. People believe in the illusion of being able to control other people, being able to control the planet, Mr. Trump. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's really a very, very dangerous place because really – the only thing that we have control of is ourself. Yeah. The only and thing we can change is ourself. Yeah. Most of us, you know, focus on how we change or can change other people in our life. Yes. You know, classic one is, of course, when, you know, a couple's getting married and he's like not wanting anything to change ever. And she's like, ha ha. Okay. We can get him past this. We're going to change this. We're going to change that. And that's sort of like this agenda. You know, as soon as the as soon as the I do is finished, mm-hmm. so. mm-hmm. and of course we know where that winds up. Mm-hmm. Divorce court, <laughs> divorce court, <laughs> or at least at least a, f- a few months of or years of massive discontent. Right, absolutely. So, what do I control? What can I control? And that fits in with this idea of what resources do I actually have? Right. What What do I actually have access to? Who can I go to for help? What? Where can I get information? What kind of information is going to actually help me here? It's really important to align the problem with the solution. Mm-hmm. And this is something that we often uh, don't spend a lot of time thinking about. Is the solution that you're thinking about, is the resource that you're thinking about uh, garnering and getting and, and using, is that actually going to solve the problem? And sometimes what will happen is we actually think we have a different problem than we actually do have. So it's when you try to solve the problem that you actually think you do have, that's when you realize that you actually have a different problem. So the whole idea is that the problem solving process. (laughs) You're giving me a problem here. (laughs) It's a problem. You got to, how does that word go? How does it go? Uh, Twiddle your your brains, right? So the problem that you think you have and that you're going about solving, you might actually solve that problem, but that's not really the source. It's a it's a it's a distraction problem. It's a problem of distraction, I guess. Because it's easier to deal with. Yeah, sometimes it's easier, or it's more obvious. It's, yeah, it's right. Because you could think yeah. you don't have the thousand bucks, and you could go and get the thousand bucks, but then next week you don't have another thousand bucks, and so it actually is a chronic problem. Right. 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 But just, nobody wants to look at that. Nobody wants to look at it. Yeah. And it's harder to look at that, right? Do and I have then, a thousand bucks? A thousand, I don't have a thousand bucks. No. But no. Uh, um, but we could do method one on that and figure out how to get it. Okay. Yeah. The last stage of method one is to analyze your interpersonal issues. So this really pertains to taking a look at the kind of the conditions, the stuff that's happening inside of you, the conditions inside of you um, that lead to these kind of obstacles. So that could be just frustration. 
Have you ever had a problem that you are just too frustrated to deal with? Right? Yeah. Yeah, we let's just jump over here now to this one other method. And really the most important part of that is we scare the hell out of ourselves when we have a goal. It's so big and we're just like, oh, my God. If you consider that everything we ever have accomplished in this life began with one small little step and that became two steps and three steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if we can keep that in mind, take take your vision, take your goal, your dreams Break them down into chunks. Yeah, to tasks. And just into tasks. And and just, you know, it's like walking up a step and you do the one task and you're up one step. And, and there are things that are rewardable. You can reward yourself for doing it. Uh, that will be more to your advantage than anything else we could possibly tell you about dealing with obstacles. Uh, we're our own worst enemies. We have to get out of our own way. Right. Oh, you know? it's like... It's not other people. It's like we're in our own way. So um, I think that in, in just even understanding that, creating a plan, coming up with creative solutions, and track your progress, you know, track each step that you you, you step up. Um, now, and if there's, you know, bad things about yourself, bad habits or whatever, like being procrastinating or spending the money when it should have gone into the project, uh, you need to take a look at that and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of really, really in a bit of a, a you know a nutshell here, but these are all very, very accomplishable uh, uh, methodologies to to get forward on obstacles. Mm-hmm. You know, next week what we're going to do actually is we're going to deal more with the internal, and that's going to be dealing with negative thoughts, how we deal with those those uh, those thoughts and ideas of putting ourselves down. So this is uh, uh, Dr. Jan Hill. This is Gord Riddell. We're of the Transformational Arts College in Toronto, and we're going to invite you to join us again next week. If you have anything that you uh, would like to share with us around obstacles in your life and how you dealt with them, we would love to share them with our audience. So you can get to us at info at spiritgrows.ca. And we thank you for listening in today, and we hope you have a great week. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.